0: Soon Everyone will see. Hi, are you Maud? Yes, hi. It takes nothing special to mop up after the dying. You're prettier than the last one. But to save a soul, that's quite something. Bless Amanda's body, and bless her mind, which is shrouded in darkness. When you pray, do you get a response? Oh. No like he's physically in me. It's how he guides me. My little saviour. Hey, I thought that was you. What are you up to? I'm a private carer. You're still nursing? What? They know what happened. All the good girls go to hell Cos they even got herself I just want to see you loosen up. I've got more important things on my mind. <laughs> Here's my little thing. Oh Maud, he isn't real. <laughs> Nothing worthwhile comes easily. Go the good girl's go to <laughs> Wanted, but you must be the loneliest girl I've ever seen. I'm ready and open. I feel fuller of your love than ever before. I have a responsibility. Oh, yes, of course. It is life and death on another level. I'm getting it all wrong. All the good girls go
1: to hell. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. I'm Mike, and joining me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. How are you doing, Venom?
2: Greetings and salutations, religious zealots. Yes, I'm doing really well. How are you doing, Mike?
1: <laughs> well, thank you for welcoming welcoming the religious zealots. Yeah,
2: because I'm sure we have so many of them as well, listeners. Yeah,
1: <laughs> really. Ah, uh, all right, also with us as always it's Don and nelly What's up, Don? Yo,
3: what's going on, everyone?
1: <laughs> okay, well, we are talking a movie. Let's see, this one has kind of an interesting history as far as release schedule. Uh from A24, it is St. Maud. It was originally supposed to release uh last year at some point got pushed back because of the pandemic, almost got released again when theaters almost started opening up and then got pushed back again. It was kind of in limbo as far as when it was going to get released. And then I think it kind of coincided with like uh, the UK got a physical release. Then they're like, okay, and America's going to get a VOD release. So they finally just bit the bullet on this one, um, which is – I would say fine, because just the nature... Like I don't know... I guess we can get into it once we get into our actual discussion, but I, I would say a movie like... I don't know what kind of audiences would have attracted. Now, having nothing to do with whether people would like it or not like it once they saw it, but I'm not sure like how if mainstream audiences would have even flocked to this one. Although when we were When we thought we were maybe coming out of, you know, the not coming out of the pandemic, but when theaters almost reopened, maybe because of the lack of other stuff released at the time, it would have had more eyeballs on it. So who who knows? But that's all in the past now. It uh, was released this past Friday on VOD, which gave everyone the opportunity that wanted to see it, the chance. So we are now going to discuss it. Uh, Synopsis. Follows a pious nurse who becomes dangerously obsessed with saving the soul of her dying patient. Uh, Good, straight to the point. Not much more you need for the setup on this one, so IMDB, whoever wrote that one, good job. Thank you. Uh, This is also a debut feature by by Rose Glass, who directed and wrote it as well. So I guess we can, uh, you know, at the end, if we want to bring up what we thought about, like a freshman effort, because... That is something to keep in mind too. First time feature. But with all that said, I will kick it to Venom. General thoughts on Saint
2: Maude. All right. Well, anybody who knows me and has listened to my shows knows how much, uh, I have an affinity for A to four films. Um, I love just about all of them, even though a lot of them are very divisive in the horror community, stuff like the witch, it comes at night, you know, movies like that. Um, I know are very polarizing to horror fans, and I'm just gonna say we're keeping that streak going with Saint Maud because I absolutely loved this film. But it is gonna piss off so many horror fans. <laughs> I mean, uh, just the amount of time that you have to go through this film before anything even remotely horror related happens is is pretty extensive. I mean, we're we're looking at an 84 minute movie where nothing really supernatural... Well, one minor thing uh, in, the, in the middle of the film, which, of course, you can question whether it actually happened or not. Ultimately, that's the ultimate question of this film. Did it actually happen? Is this all in Maude's head? Or did all the events of the film actually occur as described by our unreliable narrator? So, um, first off uh cinematography spectacular score spectacular performances amazing this movie is an absolute character study and i know a lot of horror fans don't enjoy character studies and that's fine you know to each his own so i understand that a lot of people including i would imagine one host on this show is probably not going to have the most positive opinion of the film But, like I said, I was invested from, like, the five- to ten-minute mark. uh, It was more about the characters. It was about Maude. It was about Amanda. It was about Carol. It was about, you know, the the name characters in this movie, their interactions, everything else. It it just had me riveted. This film could have ended up being a drama and had no horror element whatsoever, like, basically, no third act. And I probably still would have enjoyed it as a drama. Um, But, I mean, this is, again, it's A24. It, I can't say enough good things about this film. Um, the pacing is going to piss off a lot of people. Like I said, I myself am very okay with uh, slower-paced movies, assuming they have a good payoff at the end, which I feel this film absolutely does, much like The Witch, where that movie has a payoff that I feel warranted the you know hour and a half before it of not a whole lot going on. I love... Maud's uh, just her... How can I put this? I mean, the the movie is about a lonely woman who has a very broken psyche because uh, of an event that happened uh, earlier in the film or before the film actually starts, which we'll get into in the spoiler section. But basically, you know, she had... She had an accident on the job. It left her feeling alone because pretty it seems like anyway, because we don't really see the events that occur after the incident, if you will. We basically just see Maud living in this tiny little studio apartment. Things got to be about 200 square feet. It's just minuscule. Um, but it also makes sense that she has such a small apartment because she is an in-home caregiver. So she's not likely going to be staying at that apartment very much. Um, But anyway, um, before I get too incredibly long-winded, and I assure you, we are going to get long-winded on this one, Um, let's just say I absolutely adore this film. I've watched it three times. I will more than likely watch it again tonight. Um, It's a nice short, as I already mentioned, 84 minutes, a nice tight running time. So even if this is something that you're not really into, but you still want to kind of experience it, because it is a very... It's a movie that had a lot of high expectations over the last year, year and a half. I mean, it played what it played Fantastic Fest in 2019, I believe, something like that. Um, so, you know, this is a movie that we've been hearing a lot about for a long time, and we finally got to see it. And I absolutely 100% agree with our friend Duncan McLeish from the podcast Under the Stairs. Where he had Saint Maud as his number one movie of 2020, because of course, in the UK, they got the film last year. And as of right now, Saint Maud is my absolute favorite film of 2021. Um, I'm just not going to be able to say enough good things about this. Uh, but I'm sure other people will be able to counter me with the things they didn't like about it, too. So, like I said, this is not a movie that's going to make all horror fans happy. So, if you're a fan of A24, you're a fan of Slow Burns, you're a fan of character studies, and if you're a fan of, like, you know, um, religious horror in any way, um, I would I would absolutely highly recommend this film. This film needs to be watched. I'm going to leave it at that until we get to the spoiler section.
1: So, in other words, you liked it.
2: Oh, just a little. <laughs> <laughs> As in, I liked it so much, and I know I'm probably going to make myself look a little dumb here, but I literally sat in my living room just. Uh, when the movie ended, I literally sat on my couch in the living room for a good 10 to 15 minutes in silence, just absorbing what I had just experienced. Mostly the final scene, of course, or the final act. But overall, just the, the whole experience um, just really, really worked for me. So yeah, St. Maud, amazing film.
1: All right, Don. do you need a few minutes to absorb what Venom just said before you... uh...
2: (laughs) Get all your counterpoints together?
3: (laughs) No, um, mine's going to be blunt. Uh, For those that know me know, that's my style. And for me, I spent the entire time questioning why, as a horror podcast, we're covering this crap. I completely agree with Venom. There's no horror elements in this thing whatsoever, and I completely cannot... I cannot find anything in this that would even remotely qualify it for being covered here. Um, I mean, I, I do find I do agree with, a lot with what he's saying as well. Where it, he's talking about it as a the technical qualities of what would make a good film, it's present here. I mean, I do agree that everything looks good, everything looks slick and professional. But as a horror podcast, why the hell are we covering this? <laughs> I, I, that's not a general. I'm generally asking that because I couldn't find anything.
1: Oh, I thought it was rhetorical. That's why I didn't. No, did I, say. I'm
3: not. I'm yeah. actually as a I'm actually asking that as a gen as a genuine question, not being rhetorical or a smartass or anything. Like, why are we covering this?
1: Well, I mean, I don't. Well, I I didn't want to get into it because if you weren't done, but I think, um, yeah,
3: no, no, I I I'm I'm saying I wasn't being uh, rhetorical or a smartass. Or anything i was actually genuinely asking why are we covering this because i figured I asking would say, in our chat kind of give away or would kind of give away everything but I'd i think as a, as a horror podcast ask like why are we covering this
1: i mean my i, mean, I would say my immediate answer you know without because i didn't know you were an asset ahead of time so just off the top of my head i would almost put this in a similar um um Similar category as something like uh, Possessor because a lot of people were saying last year, well, is Possessor really a horror movie? Now, we could go – in the uh, in the interest of time and you know, we're not here to talk about other movies, we could go scene by scene and, yes, there's an argument that Possessor has more to justify answering that specific question. But I would say a movie like this, I mean it – it really relies on the horror of the human condition first and foremost. And then, which I'll get into in, in my general thoughts, but, um, I think it definitely leads to horror in, in the final act, or maybe not the, it's, it's only 84 minutes. had to say final act more like, you know, what the final kind of 10 minutes, maybe 15, 15, 10, minutes, 15 yeah. 10 minutes. I think it leads up to that, but because of what we get before, I understand why everything leading up to that that question could be asked. Now, I, sp- me specifically, I think the reason the last 10 to 15 minutes is so effective is because of what we got the first hour. But in order to expand upon that, I have to get into all my general thoughts. I'll just answering your question specifically. Well, I, To me, I find, uh, like Venom said, character studies or when you are making a movie about the human condition, And what it can drive you to do, I find personally, I find that stuff to be well entrenched in what horror is to me, maybe more on a psychological sense. Um, But when I was watching it, when I was watching the character develop and kind of seeing the direction things were headed, I definitely kind of got that chilling horror of like something bad is going to happen before the end of this movie. And we're kind of almost on the countdown to, okay, what the hell is going to happen because obviously she's not right <laughs> in the <laughs> head. Or she is, you know, it, well, I I won't expand upon that yet. But basically, to me, the human condition in itself is horror if done right. And I felt in this movie it was done right. Um, so I guess, you know, I kind of have to tiptoe around fully answering it until we actually get into... <laughs> the movie itself, but I don't know if that answered the question sufficiently, but um, that's, I guess, my answer for now. I mean, so, yeah, it, I
3: wasn't expecting... Well, I wasn't expecting an answer, like, immediately now. I mean, I know that a lot <laughs> of that's going to be included in spoilers, but...
1: Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, Ben, I mean, do I mean, you have I anything was, to add? Cause I thought was, I ex- I I was, ex- was going to say something, too.
2: I mean... I don't see how this movie is not horror. I mean, yes, it's a drama for the first hour of the 84, well, hour and like 10 minutes of the 84-minute runtime, but um, considering what's happening during that first, you know, 65, 70 minutes of the film um, between the two characters, and especially between Maude and her kind of downward spiral into, uh, you know, it, you could call it insanity, you can call it depression, Um You could even call it PTSD, since she did have a traumatic event at the beginning of the movie. But the point is, to watch someone go down a spiral like that, and I do use the word spiral on purpose, because there are multiple spirals in this movie, and they have specific symbolism, which I will get into in the spoiler section. I I thought you were going to
1: say, because this is the lead into the new Saw
2: movie. No, not remotely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, Um, a a movie like The Invitation which is a horror movie you're basically watching a fairly standard dinner party for the first hour right Mm -hmm. and maybe don has problems with i mean i don't you know we've never had a chat about
0: other movies
1: i would kind of do this so
3: i've never seen it because nobody's ever actually convinced me that it has been see i've actually i've seen i've read enough about it that nothing about that actually sounds like a horror film to me so i've never seen it
2: well look like, it, it's always going to come down to your personal definition of horror. Does't have to be visceral? Does it have to be something on the screen? a monster, a killer? you know, body parts, blood, gore, blah, blah blah. If that's your definition of horror, that's fine. And if that is your definition of horror, then Saint. Maud is just not the movie for you, as most A24 films are at this point. um but I don't know I, I can't look at this movie and look at it as anything but a horror film to me. Like I said, it has elements of heavy drama early. uh, Well, early for the first 70 minutes. But kind of like Mike said, as you're you're watching this character go through her depression, you can kind of tell something's going to happen. And, you know, it's either going to be it's going to be a case of, you know, unreliable narrator that nothing, none of this actually happened and it's all completely in her head. Or maybe some of the events did happen. One or two very obviously happened. And then the other thing is, or or is it 100% truthful? Is it absolutely everything that we're seeing is 100% the way Maud is describing it to us? And I I think that disconnect, I um that disconnect, kind of has always entertained me in these films. I also, for whatever it's worth, love that Maud narrates the film. I like that we just hear her voice kind of talking about her prayers. And, you know, why she wants to save Amanda and blah, blah, blah. I just, I feel like that's uh, framed very nicely. Now, it's definitely not traditional horror by any stretch, but again, you know, A24, there's nothing traditional about A24 films. That's probably part of the reason why a lot of us in the community love those films. So, I mean, you can make the argument that that it comes at night isn't horror. You can make the argument that, you know, multiple movies that A24 has put out isn't horror, but... I still consider existential dread as a horror to me. So, considering I felt that through most of this film, uh, I'm gonna accept it.
3: Now, see, I'm for me, I use that as a qual- as a quality to building a horror film, but I don't use that as like a as a be all, end all definition. So, I can use that as like a character as like a component to build on, but I don't use that as like oh, just because it has that. It- automatically
2: make. Oh sure, sure. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. By yeah, any I, strength, and but I I, know,
3: I, <laughs> I never assumed you were, but I know, I'm just saying that to me, that isn't that's a quality that you can use to enhance a horror film, but just including that and nothing else doesn't make it a horror film for me. So, I mean, I know that this is, yeah, I know, yeah, this is probably going to be like a little longer than what we were planning on, but for, like, general thoughts and stuff. But, yeah, no, for me, like like I said earlier, like, my general thing was that I know that we as a horror... Pa- you know, if we're looking at this as a general film podcast, but I'm completely different. I'm completely on board with you. It looks great. Everything is sound, and it looks great. You know, everything on that end is, is great, and I really enjoy that. But I'm looking at this as a horror podcast, like, are we really should we really be covering this? Like, that was my initial thought was like, what about this as a horror film? And taking two scenes away from this, you know, there's two scenes in here that kind of draw me closer to it. Mm -hmm. But if we take those two scenes out, I have absolutely, there's like absolutely nothing about you makes me, makes me think this is a horror film at all.
2: Mm, I mean, opinions are opinions. That's just as valid as mine. But, I mean, ultimately, I think the majority of movie watchers would probably say this is horror. Whether the events occurred or not, if this is just a, you know, psychological thriller with, you know, uh, with a woman just um, hallucinating all these events, I think most people would probably still consider it horror. I mean, there is one bloody death in the film, one uh, good incineration. So, I mean, there's... There's something there, it's just, um, you know, A24 films aren't known for their high body counts, and, you know, it's part of the reason I enjoy them, because when someone dies in an A24 film, it means something. They're not just one of 13 people that got killed in this movie. When someone dies in an A24 film, it absolutely means something, and it almost always uh, yields some kind of emotional response, either happiness, sadness, uh, frustration, whatever the case may be, so... I just feel like, you know, a 824 has got the... They've got the formula down for low body count horror. And you, like I said, you know, at, at this point, no one should be surprised by the stuff that's coming from a 824. Um, I understand, well, okay. Don, that you watch this, you know, because we're covering it on the show, and likely you probably wouldn't have even watched it if we weren't covering it, and I understand that and appreciate it. But I, I still think that the majority of people are going to disagree with you and say, yes, this is horror. But... Again, no one's right or wrong here.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think 824, um, they have a habit of, you know, choosing movies to make that um, what you're seeing on screen is really could be window dressing for the themes that are going on, you know, underneath the surface or allegories or metaphors. I mean, you see that all the time, you know, with The Witch, It Comes at Night, this one, say, even something like Hereditary where... yeah. They, you know, I would say they do a lot more to ramp up the horror elements in it, but still, really, they're it, it's a, a big allegory. Um, mm-hmm. So with Saint Mod, you know, religion um, is really the device to deliver that story. But when you peel it back, it's really about um, obsession, loneliness, to feel the desperate feeling to belong. Um, And, you know, we'll get into more of that once we start breaking down scenes and her, you know, mods motivation to do various things that, you know, she almost goes back and forth with her own decisions and outlooks and stuff. Um, But, you know, I kind of already said half of what I was going to say when I was answering Don's question, so I I don't have (laughs) a ton more to say on general thoughts, just that. You know, I think this was a great movie on the human condition and all those themes going on. And I felt that uh, it was paced the way it was deliberately because it wanted to make sure that final act delivered the punch if if there was too much going on in the movie that had you thinking back and forth either way, then I think it would have made the ending less effective. Um, I think they went for, or Rose glass in her writing. Uh, she, she went for a certain tone and a certain pace. So that that way the grand finale would feel like a grand finale. I mean, maybe it doesn't hit with everyone the same way for me. It was a spectacular ending, regardless of how you read it. Um, I have my opinion. We'll all get into our opinion on like what we thought as far as you know what exactly was happening. Um, but as far as just what you were seeing on screen, I thought I was like, wow, that's really a way to end the movie. Like that's that, that was mm-hmm. quite an ending. Um, uh, like it's already been mentioned, it's a it's a quick watch. I actually threw it on for a third time today and. I, I didn't really need to i remember like after the second watch i had pretty much retained what i needed to, do to retain to, to discuss it on the show but you know i was like why not i'm home so i'll just kind of throw it on in the background and man i i liked it like my rating probably went up like on the second and third watch just mm-hmm. because i think the first one it was like okay taking it all in trying to figure it out and then the second and third watch is just like wow that's good filmmaking mm-hmm um but yeah I, for general thoughts like i said that's pretty much it i would say yeah it's pro- probably yeah, it, it's my number one so far 2021 again i haven't seen a ton of movies yet and saying it's my number one in february doesn't mean much you know could mean nothing six <laughs> months from now but
2: yep for for right now it's up there Hey, for whatever it's worth, my number one of 2020 was a February release as well, so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's something. <laughs> Let's see,
1: it's like drawing, what, number one in the Royal Rumble and winning it? <laughs> <laughs> Not
2: bad. <laughs> nice analogy.
1: Yep. So, I, unless, uh, Don, unless you wanted to retort to any of that, I guess we can kick it to Venom for spoiler section. I'm... I think he was saying no. He kind of broke up there, but I think he was saying no. Okay.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. Um. Sorry, yeah. I said it's probably going to get covered in the in the walkthrough anyway, so might as well. Okay.
2: Cool. All right, folks. So, St. Maud, 2019, technically, but in America, 2021. Uh, our movie opens up with a shot of a hospital room. The camera is uh, slowly panning towards the bed, As it pans to the floor near the bed, we see blood dripping down uh, from the bed onto the floor, pooling on the floor. The camera starts to pan up. We see long hair with blood dripping from it. And finally, the camera gets up to the bed, and we see a dead body lying there face up in a very specific position, which I will get into later in the film, because there is some symbolism to the position that this body was found in. Um. The camera then pans over to the left, and we see Maude, uh basically sitting in the corner, uh, covered in blood. She's got—not covered, necessarily, but she's got some blood spatter on her. Um, and she's just kind of—she has her head in her hands, and she's just—it looks like she's lamenting whatever just happened. And then suddenly she looks up to the ceiling, and a large insect, almost like a beetle or a cockroach, or like a giant tick, even— um, just kind of crawls across the ceiling and then we get a musical sting and we get our title card saint Maud. so after that um let's see Maud is seen in her small studio apartment eating soup <laughs> it's funny that i have this in my notes because the walkthrough would be so short if i didn't put lines like that in there because there are you know a lot of scenes that are lengthy here there'll be like a five minute scene in an 84 minute movie of Maud just preparing lunch for herself or for her and amanda or something you know or a, you know a two minute scene on her preparing medication so like i said i can i i can already hear the complaints about the film and i understand where they will be coming from so definitely nothing i'm going to argue too much um, Maud, uh, before eating her soup, uh, starts to pray to God. And, uh, this is when we hear her voice, her narration comes up. Uh, she's praying to God, asking for guidance in her time of need. You know, she talks about being lost or potentially being lost and needing, uh, God to lay a path down for her, um, so after that, Maud is seen uh, arriving at Amanda's house. Uh, Amanda is a 49-year-old former choreographer and dancer, uh, a minor celebrity, as Maud uh, describes her, and unfortunately, she has cancer in her uh, spinal column, so she is very quickly dying. Uh, in one of the opening scenes, we actually see Maud giving Amanda a bath, and she basically has no hair. Her hair is all completely gone and um you know she looks very thin and decrepit um you know so we can already tell and maude during this prayer actually says that she doesn't she fears that amanda is not long for this world because of how you know how advanced her cancer is so um when uh maude arrives at amanda's house the nurse that she is replacing gives her some real basic instructions on when Amanda eats, when she takes her medication, blah, blah, blah. And, excuse me. Then uh, we get a scene where Amanda feeds, uh, excuse me, where Maud feeds Amanda, you know, some pasta. Uh, She bathes her. There's even a quick little scene where she's seen helping her with her physical therapy, helping her stretch her legs, stretch her arms, things like that. Now, that evening, Amanda gets a uh, visitor uh, from a male friend, an old friend, and he actually asks Maud if they could have the house to themselves. Now, Maud is a live-in nurse, so of course she stays at Amanda's house. But this guy was very pretentious and basically asked her to leave so that they could be alone. Uh, Maud ends up going out, going trying to go to see a movie. Um, uh, Maud, let's see. After after her. Not, uh, oh, basically, just before she's about to go into the movie, she gets a phone call from the male friend and uh, basically asking her to come home now that Amanda needs her. And when she when she gets back to the house, um, she hears Amanda and the gentleman arguing, yelling at each other. And as Maud enters uh, Amanda's room, a glass is thrown more than likely fra- by Amanda um, and smashes right near Maud It doesn't injure her or anything like that. Um, and then they have a conversation, uh, while they're having their dinner, uh, basically, um, Amanda decides that she doesn't want to be alone this evening, so she asks Maud to stay, and they, they just start to talk. They talk about, um, what she did before this, and, you know, Maud lets her know that, uh, I was a nurse at a, at a certain hospital. Um, Amanda said, oh, that place is terrible, so apparently this hospital has a reputation for not being great. Um she asks amanda asks Maud why she's no longer at the hospital Maud basically says a very ambiguous thing like oh there was an incident and i decided to leave the hospital um and then during that conversation she also uh, talks about her relationship with god and how he helped get her through her major depression of a few months ago when she lost her job the first time and um you know, that that she is now on the righteous path, and she basically spends a lot of the film trying to convince Amanda that there is a God and that there is an afterlife. Because Amanda, obviously, well, you know, lives her life as an entertainer, probably not the most religious person. And even now, at the doorstep of death, she's still not really, you know, that godly or religious in any way. She's basically, you know, almost, almost like ra- railing against the Lord, if you will. Now... Uh, let's see. Maud goes back up to her room uh, to have her final prayer of the evening, and what she actually ends up doing is she opens up a pack of microwave popcorn, and she pours all of the unpopped kernels onto the floor, and she kneels on them while she's praying. Now, this is obviously um, a rite of penance. Uh, obviously, you know, we've heard about... Religious people, you know, whipping themselves or punishing themselves as self-penance. So we, we, we are going to see a few examples of that in this film. But this is the first one where, like I said, she's kneeling on unpopped uh, uh, kernels of popcorn and, you know, saying her prayers. She doesn't look like she's in any kind of excruciating pain while she's praying. So this is probably something she's done before. That evening, Amanda gets a visitor, uh, which upsets Maud. and this is a woman, a younger woman, who's coming, and she she ends up visiting very late. Maud tries to turn her away, tries to tell her, no, Amanda's asleep, it, you know, it's very late. But uh, the friend, whose name is Carol, by the way, um, she kind of forces her way in the house and says, no, Amanda's expecting me. And right when she walks in, we see... Uh, the bedroom light in Amanda's room turn on. So it it seems like Amanda was expecting her. Uh, The next morning, uh, the friend is seen leaving uh, the the house while counting a wad of cash. So it looks like Amanda must have given her some money. She's counting it as she walks out the door. Maud notices this and, you know, makes a very disparaging face. Like she doesn't like that this woman's taking Amanda's money, you know, while she's on the brink of death. So... Um Maud and Amanda end up having lunch together again. Uh Maud uh, says her prayers or she she kneels down to say her prayers before a meal like any good Christian does. And um Amanda basically turns the TV off and go acts like she's praying with Amanda side by side. Um they're both praying. Amanda uh, Maud's praying out loud, you know, bless Amanda, ble- you know, uh, bless this, bless that. And finally uh, at the end of the prayer, they both kind of look at each other, and Maud says, "God is here. He's here right now. Can you feel him?" And then they both have what is a very odd scene because it's almost orgasmic. It almost looks like the two women are literally being pleasured by an invisible force. And um, and it, you know, it looks like <laughs> the, Carol or not Carol. Let the let the uh, let the passion yeah. flow through you. Okay, <laughs> apparently, yeah. <laughs>
1: So their passion uh, flows through them.
2: Apparently, yes. <laughs> All right, so let's see. Um,
1: now uh, here, no, I got a question. At at the time of the scene itself, uh-huh. did you think it uh, was like mocking
0: her, or
1: did you think yes that <laughs> she genuinely was trying to give it a shot and maybe? She was just swept up in the moment from the act. I wasn't convinced either way on my first watch. Um, now, like, oh, I was absolutely. Something happens later in the movie, like right. that she was mocking her.
2: You mean, or oh, I yeah, I, I absolutely, positively knew she wasn't into that. What was it happening in that scene? Don't forget, this is an entertainer, a former entertainer. Um, you know uh alcoholic, more than likely a drug abuser, you know, um, slept around. I mean, she's only 49, so she's obviously lived a very fast life. And now, of course, you know, she's dealing with her cancer. I, I honestly don't think she ever, for one second in this movie, bought anything that Maud told her, honestly. Um, even though she is on the brink of death and most people tend to get mm-hmm. kind of religious or when they know they're about to die, um, Amanda really... Any time that she was talking to Maud about God, it felt facetious. Yeah, like, even though, even on first watch, I'm like, "There's no way this woman's buying into it that easily." Because literally, they had like, like a ten minute conversation, and suddenly she's pious. Nah, I don't believe it.
1: Like all the stuff that happened post their prayer, I figured it was a put on. Like, okay, oh, yeah. whatever, whatever the hell's going on now. Like Maud probably sincerely is feeling orgasmic, but I thought Amanda was maybe just like playing along or, you know, maybe she was doing something to herself to make her feel like that. But I thought, <laughs> may, I thought maybe the praying itself was just because, you know, she knows she's on death's bed or quickly approaching. Maybe she's trying to give like prayer and religion, just, you know, like the doors, like barely cracked open. And maybe she's trying to say, Hey, well maybe if I, here's, you know, here's a nun, or, you know, whatever it in my house trying to do this. So let me see if uh, anything comes of it. And then quickly she was like, nope I felt nothing after that prayer. But now I'll go along with this. I just the,
2: the way that she smiled at Maud all through the film, just there was a sense of um, I don't know, almost pity in all her smiles. You know what I mean? Like she, and she even says it later in the film that you're a young, pretty girl. Why don't you have some fun while you can? And obviously, you know, Maud replies with her religious response and, yeah. you know, the shit hits the fan from there. But yeah, I just, even early in the film, you know, cause you can even see when, uh, Maud bows her head to pray right before eating lunch with Amanda. You can see Amanda smile. Like, she actually does smile. It's not a big, shitty grin, like a demonic smile or anything stupid. It's just a little little smile. But something about that smile tells me, aw, isn't she cute? You know what I mean? Like, that's what Amanda was thinking. Ah, isn't she adorable? Right. She, she feels God, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and here's this 49-year-old who thinks she knows everything about the world, so... Of course, you know, she's not going to be a believer in any way. That's just my opinion, like I said. Anyway. Okay, so, um, after their little orgasmic uh, little episode, if you will, uh, we see Maude in her bedroom. She's in a t-shirt and panties, and we see more of her body for the first time. We see scars all over her legs and midsection. Uh, So, obviously, Maud was a cutter at some point in her life. It doesn't seem like she still is, but, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, she obviously has a very dark past that she's dealing with, which, of course, is going to, you know, help the events, the later events of this film. So, um, after that, Maud is given a gift um, of a book on theology, Uh, from Amanda, and Maud is seen basically flipping through the pages of the book. Um, Carol ends up walking into the kitchen while she's looking at the book on theology, and Maud tries to convince Carol to stop seeing Amanda. She basically tells her, look, I'm her caregiver. I know what she needs. This woman is dying And, you know, it doesn't do her any good to have, you know, people come over late at night, drinking, smoking. And Amanda is an absolute chain smoker, though. I mean, she's I don't think we see her without a cigarette in her mouth once in this movie. (laughs) Maybe when she's getting a bath. That's probably about the only scene. Um, So, yeah, like I said, Maude tells Carol, you know, she wants you. I want you to stop coming here for Amanda's sake. Carol asks, uh, did you get this from Amanda? And, you know, Maud replies, no, this is my request. Um, you know, I just feel like it's in the best interest of Amanda that she get rest and relaxation for her remaining days. Carol looks like she agrees. She's like, OK. And she, you know, she leaves. And Maud basically before Carol walks out the door, Maud asks her, just don't let Amanda know that it was me who asked you to do that. Blah, blah, blah. So... As you can see, Maud is – it's weird. It's almost like she's turning into a jealous girlfriend at times. And there are very odd sexual tones in the film, too. Like, there's little looks. Like, like when Carol first comes to visit uh, Amanda, and they're in the bedroom, and you can see that um, Carol is kind of down to her skivvies, like her underwear, and she's dancing for Carol – and Maud is kind of staring through the crack in the wall, but she's not mm-hmm. looking at Carol. She's looking at Amanda the whole time. And Amanda actually notices that, uh, you know, that Maud is staring through the crack in the door, and you can see her cover herself up. Amanda covers herself up, because she's kind of, you know, she's got, like, lingerie on, whatever. So there's, there's definitely a weird sexual tone to the movie. Oh, and then during the... Uh, during the religious orgasmic experience scene, um, you can actually see Maud reach over and... Or not Maud, you can see Amanda reach over and touch Maud's hand while they're both experiencing... Like I said, it seems like they're both having full-fledged orgasms, and Amanda reaches over and touches Maud's hand. So, yeah, there's definitely some weird overtones in this film that aren't really interesting.
1: I noticed that, too, and I... I wondered if, um, because we already know from what we know about Maude, and obviously we'll, we learn more as the movie goes. How you know she's obviously living a lonely kind of—I wouldn't say depressed, but she's definitely lonely. She definitely doesn't feel like she fits in um, with just regular society. And as the movie went on, I thought maybe part of it was because she's a lesbian and she hasn't come to proper grips with it partly because how devoted she is to religion and maybe she's unwilling to accept that part of her. And then the few times in the movie where she attempts to let go, it comes out because even later on in the scenes where, you know, she just totally when it seems like she's going to give everything up because well, this religious stuff hasn't helped me at all. And she goes Mm -hmm. out on the town and stuff. The scenes with the guys, uh, and you could read it multiple ways, but the scenes with the guys definitely feels like she's just going through the motions. She shows no pleasure out of it herself. It, right. it feels like she's a machine basically performing for them. I have, an, ex- them I have or... an
2: explanation for that, but I think we'll see,
1: gonna... I, see. See, yeah, I don't necessarily think it's 100% guaranteed it's because she's a lesbian. It's just something I thought might be in the equation like on top of everything else but we'll get to that when we get to it
2: i mean ultimately you know Maud herself doesn't act on anything you know she just kind of looks throughout the film and don't forget it's amanda who reaches for Maud's hand not the other way around during the orgasmic little scene there so true um, it's very
1: subtle things it's just oh, like yeah yeah i thought maybe that is part of it like a small part but part
2: I mean, part of what I'm thinking is just her dealing with an attraction to a woman while still harboring thoughts of homophobia because she's so religious. I I think this woman grew up fairly religious and then and, you know, grew up in a Christian household that, you know, said homosexuality is wrong. Um, I don't know that she's necessarily a lesbian or a closeted lesbian. I would imagine she's at the very least bi-curious because of the, some of the ways that she looks at Amanda but I yeah I, I, it, it could definitely be that just, it, she,
3: yeah like, she I was might not
2: be like,
1: Go yeah ahead.
3: no I no I got the idea that she was closeted I, I definitely picked that up because a lot of the interactions especially when the other girl comes over you get the idea that she the girl is actually onto something about Maude being jealous of the attention she's getting because she wants it for herself so I can definitely see where you're coming from with the closeted lesbian thing. I think it's actually. I think that's actually a lot more of where she's coming from with this because it makes sense in that she, you know, like you said, she's coming from the religious background where that's not tolerated, but yet she's genuinely in. If she's not on the way to being a, lesbian, leaning that way more than being straight, so I definitely see well, where she's, I like. I said she's probably closeted more than being a genuine lesbian. In that, she lo- she seems a lot more interested there, like, like like you said, against the way that she interacted with the men. I do agree that there's a lot of roboticness and just going through the motions. The way she reacted with that, so well, well, I do mention... think that there is some.
1: Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, and, and another another thing to throw in for why i think that might be it is because the i think it's two or three scenes we get of the uh self-inflicted pain where she she almost is punishing herself for the possible thought she's having about another woman or just she that's her way of dealing with it it's like well um you know i'm so repressed and i'm you know i i I so don't want to accept these feelings that I'm gonna, you know, punish myself with like what the needles in the shoe, and then burning herself, and there might have been one more thing, but I can't remember. But yeah,
2: you're skipping ahead, Dick.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I'm just yeah, I'm trying to piece together why I think it, but yeah, I mean, we'll definitely get to.
2: Well, you're trying to justify it to yourself, really, more than anything. Um, I read, I read, yeah, yeah, just
1: well, I'm just trying to justify why I think that could be part of the character right now.
2: That's valid. That's valid. But um, I read an interview with the uh, with the director. Uh, Yesterday online. And yeah, she she talked extensively about this movie and uh, closeted homosexuality never came up in the conversation. Uh, The only thing that really came up in this interview was her loneliness, her depression, um, her uh, broken psyche, uh, things like that, her loss of value. You know, uh, she, she feels like she lacks value. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying that's I didn't get that. Like I said, bi-curious, definitely, because she's so repressed, absolutely. But if she's never had an experience with a woman, then how does she know she would like it? That's why I say bi-curious and not closeted lesbian. There's slight well, there. Yeah, yeah. What? Well, okay, I, I, I would almost say
1: lesbian versus bi-curious in this context would almost be inconsequent. like it, it could be either one it's just the straight up attraction to female whether exclusively or in addition to men just the fact that she even would have that thought in her head about females you know anyway would be probably something that she would repress just because oh absolutely the bible makes no distinction i don't think it's not that i'm a scholar of the bible but i don't think the bible really makes a distinction well you're not allowed to be a lesbian but if you're bi then it's okay because it's only an additional you know what i'm saying (laughs) like so i think whether even if we scratch off like lesbian and it and it's just bi curious or bisexual or whatever i think that alone would be enough to kind of set her down like the repression path and maybe self-harm but um but, yeah, you know, we'll get to other scenes that yeah, that mm-hmm. I have justified it with. It.
2: <laughs> okay, so, um, where are we here? Okay, uh, Maude ends up uh, going out for the evening. She doesn't feel like staying around Amanda's apartment and – or Amanda's house, excuse me, very lar- large, luxurious house. Um so basically she ends up going out and she meets an old friend on the streets who actually calls her Katie. And that's when we find out that Maud's real name is Katie and that Maud is her basically her um what's the term um born again Christian name. Like she basically took another name kind of like Muslims when they t- when they start being religious, you know, Cassius Clay changed his name uh, you know to Muhammad Ali. Lewell Cinder became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, so you know it's kind of the same thing. She she's a born again person, so she kind of renamed herself. She's re-identifying herself, and um, I did a little research and to find out why she may have chosen the name Maud. In old German, in the old German language, Maud has um, two similar meanings. One means uh, one is battle mighty. Oh, actually, they're both exactly similar. They're just worded differently. So Maud either means battle mighty or powerful battler. So obviously she chose this name because she feels that she is a weapon of God and that she's what she's doing is right or at, <laughs> what she's planning on doing is right. We don't know what her plan is yet, but that'll come to fruition in a second. Um, so, yeah, so uh, potentially that's kind of you know, how she may have picked or decided on that name of Maud. So anyway, um, Maud, or Katie, uh, is talking to her old friend. They're kind of catching up, and this is when we find out that, you know, after Maud had her little incident at the hospital, that it seems like everybody abandoned her, which would explain her depression. The loneliness, yes, absolutely, but also she was abandoned. All her friends, there's no mention of any family in this movie. They don't mention a mother father siblings anything so she's basically been abandoned by everyone that she cares about which is why she's living in this you know little studio apartment on coney island um so where are we here um at uh later that evening amanda gets a phone call and she seems to get a little bit upset about it but we don't find out exactly what was exchanged on that phone call uh amanda just hangs up and she looks visibly upset about something a uh, mod comes in and actually asks amanda hey would you like to go out and leave the house sometime maybe we can go see a movie or something blah 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 just to kind of get some fresh air and just get out of here for a little while amanda instantly is very short with her and just says no i'm going to bed and Maud, you know she's confused because it's only five in the afternoon, and when Maud calls her on that, Amanda says, "I'll go to bed whenever the fuck I want," and you know so she ends up going to bed right then and there uh, that night. Maud is seen purposely burning her hands on the stove once again, another passage of penance. Um, I don't know if she's punishing herself for going overboard with her patient and you know asking that they go do something social outside of the house. Or if it's potentially, again, the bi-curiosity that, you know, she's kind of fighting against. So, you know, it's up to the interpretation of the viewer. The next night, Amanda has a huge party at her house. Her house is just filled with people, much to Maud's chagrin, because Maud is the only servant in the house. So she's basically handling this party of what looks like 50-plus people. And, you know, at one point in the party... um, Amanda and Maud get into a little bit of a clash about Carol. Apparently, Carol did tell, and that's probably what the phone call was the night before. Was Carol calling Amanda to tell her, "Hey, Maud asked me to not come over anymore. That you, you know, don't don't need me there." Blah blah blah. So this party is probably Amanda's response to Maud's request. Fuck you, I'm gonna do whatever I want. So now you don't want me to have one friend over, I'm gonna have all my friends over. But as it turns out, it is Amanda's birthday, so you know there's a reason for having the party. So, um, during, the, like I said, during the party, Amanda and Maud get into a clash about Carol. Uh, Maud tries to apologize and walk away. Unfortunately, Amanda no, tells her, no, 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 I'm talking to you. You stay right here. And just continues to berate her about, you know, I don't know if you're jealous, if you want to be with me, or you just don't want me to have fun, or blah, 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 but you don't have the right to tell my friends not to come over here. And they get into a little back and forth about God, and Amanda eventually makes a disparaging comment about God um, and Maud slaps her, just slaps the shit out of her. Now, mind you, this is a nurse slapping a stage four cancer patient. So, yeah, a very serious offense. So, at this point, Maud is very obviously fired. Um, the next scene, she's, you know, in, in an office with her superior. Uh, the superior's basically telling her, well, yeah, you're obviously fired, and you're very lucky that Amanda isn't going to press charges, well, for some reason, Amanda decided not to press charges on this nurse who assaulted her, but okay. Um, at this point, Maude starts to lose her faith, and she starts punishing herself even more. She starts peeling the scab off the burn wound that I talked about earlier, Um and then Maud just goes on a bender. She goes out, she starts, she, she goes to bars, she's, she's drinking heavily. She's flirting with any guy that looks even remotely uh, acceptable as a partner. Um, unfortunately, she's not getting any, you know, um, response. But then finally, she sees a guy from across the room. Uh, and the very next scene... Maud is giving this guy a hand job in the back of the bar or in the back of the, the club, whatever wherever they are, somewhere in the back room, she is giving this guy a handjob. Uh she finishes him off and he instantly just takes off. Like he doesn't even want to stay in the bar, which you can see the look on Maud's face. You know, she thought, well, I just gave this guy a handy, maybe he'll at least, you know, spend some time with me, blah, blah, blah. But no. He got what he wanted and he leaves and uh Maud continues kind of flirting with guys, you know, trying to get, you know, trying to trying to get close to guys that are there. Unfortunately, it seems like all the guys that she's hitting on are there with women. <laughs> so, Maud obviously can't read the room very well. Um and then while she's at the bar, um she looks down at what a glass of beer and she sees a spiral or a whirlpool in the glass, which makes her which freaks her out. And the reason that this freaks her out is because throughout the film, she's been seeing references to spirals and whirlpools throughout the film. Um, Usually it's in a sink, uh, which obviously the water goes down the drain in a spiral motion, so that's normal. The thing is, is that every time she sees it, she sees blood in the water, Um, whether there's blood coming from her or not, every time she sees water going down a drain, there's a little bit of blood mixed in there. At one point she's doing dishes and you can see the soapy water, um, going down the drain and still there is some blood mixed in with the white soap. So yeah, it's very obvious that spirals have a, some sort of significance for Maud. Um, so once again, real quick. Um, I did a little research on spirals and their symbolism in films, and uh, this is what I came up with. Spirals represent a connection to the divine, spiraling from the outer ego to the inner soul. It can also represent evolution and growth of the spirit. So obviously when Maud sees these um, whirlpools or spirals, whatever you want to call them, Um, She obviously feels a connection to God. She thinks that's God speaking to her in most of those scenes. She doesn't always know what he's saying, but every time she sees those, she she feels God, the presence of God in the room. And in this particular occasion at the bar, when she sees the spiral, this is the first spiral that we see that is actually supernatural. Like all the ones that we've seen before now have been, like I said, in the sink water draining down in the drain. Um, so it's obviously going to go in a natural spiral, but the one that she sees in the beer, uh, the glass of beer at the bar is the first like odd one that she's seen. Uh, she's instantly, like I said, she's freaked out and she kind of jumps back from the glass of beer and she bumps into this, you know, fat douchebag bag. Uh, and he basically says, Oh, I think you owe me a beer the very next scene, uh, we are at the fat douchebag's apartment, and um, Maude is nude and riding him like a good cowgirl should. She basically, as she's riding him, uh, she starts to have a flashback to the events uh, at the beginning of the film, where, you know, her little incident. And now we get the explanation of what actually happened. So it seems, as she's, you know, on top of this guy she her hands are on his chest and she starts having like i said she starts having flash scenes of the hospital and then the old woman and then everything else um and then finally as she's riding this guy she has a hallucination that her hands break his sternum and go into his chest not quite as uh, as deep as like the thing when the chest opens up and, uh, Wolf, Wilford, is it Wilford Brinley's arms that get bitten in that scene? I think it is, right? Um, No, it's it's the other guy. All right. Um, so anyway, yeah. So, you know, she has this thought, she has this hallucination that she caves the chest in of this guy that she's having sex with. She instantly jumps off him screaming, freaking out. he doesn't understand what's going on. Um, she goes and lies down on the bed, um, you know, face down and the guy goes to mount her and she says, no, stop. And he just tells her, Oh, relax, relax. And he goes and basically finishes his business. So, you know, once a woman says no, that's basically rape in my opinion, but whatever. Um, so yeah, so Maude, like I said, is uh, violated in this scene. At first it's by her invitation, but then by the end, she doesn't want to. And, um, you know, she ends up finishing with the guy. The guy basically tells a story about how he knows who she is, that, you know, she used to be a popular girl uh, back in the day. And, um, you know, it instantly makes Maud just disgusted and she just leaves. Okay, so uh, Maud returns home and continues praying to God, asking for strength and guidance because um, she has lost her way. She she, basically everything that she did this evening was basically her middle finger to God after she lost her faith yet again. Um, after being fired by Amanda, she, I think this is just her response. She basically just wanted to do as much debaucherous shit as possible. Like if she could have gotten her hands on Coke or a handgun, she probably would have done a lot worse shit. But you know, this is a, just a timid little girl, uh Welsh girl to be exact. And, um, You know, she. this is her idea of debauchery, so I drinking thought, heavily. I, yeah, I
1: found I found that whole scene uh, when she was going off the bar was one of the most tragic in the whole movie because um, I don't find anything particular, you know, wrong or even more about like casually hooking up or anything when it's something you actually really want to do. Yeah. But you could kind of tell that that whole scene to me was just another allegory for the lonely girl searching for something to try to belong um you know she had tried religion oh that's what you were devotion. Okay. yeah she had tried religion um being devoted to that and then she when she ran into kind of the roadblock where she thought okay i'm not you know this isn't fulfilling me the way i thought it would then she does the 180 and she turns to okay now i'm gonna try to like fit in with like society and go out and oh. and she wasn't getting she wasn't getting, like, obviously because, you know, when she would hook up with the dude, no one was really interested in her other than, you know, the quick, dirty bar hookups. And by the end of that whole sequence, she was still kind of lost and searching and lonely because she didn't get out of that what she was searching for either. So I think as we, as the movie kind of builds and going and, gets to where it's going i think it's because ultimately the only thing that ends up feeling you know fulfilling the void in her life or what she thinks she's searching for is that super crazy over-the-top dedication to religion and god and or what her version of she thinks all this stuff is right mm-hmm. and i think ultimately that's why once she goes back in the other direction is because like, that's really the only path forward she sees as fulfilling that void in her life for which she is
2: searching. Okay. I see your so point. That I was can... kind of my
1: interpretation of everything but that I was see going it. on.
2: I see your point, but like I said, I, I, I see, because after she was fired for slapping Amanda, she actually says, I haven't felt your presence since that day. I don't know what's, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to make, to make everything right, and I think that when God doesn't speak to her that night, she even makes the comment that the only thing left is the pain in my midsection, you know. And she even says, right. "Oh, it could be cancer, it could be appendicitis." I, I but, literally. Think but that see, it's I just, think
1: uh-huh. I was going to say the reason I think that she's that's conveyed in the first place is because the devotion to religion and God and all that is. much hollow in the first place because her over dedication and obsession with god and religion to me is just as much or it's just as phony it's just as phony as what she's trying to get out of by going and hooking up and trying you know to her naive self, what she's doing in that bar that night—oh, well, that's what like the heathens do. So I'm going to give it a shot. Maybe I'll feel fulfilled by living the heathen life. Well, that no, but she already does...
2: that life, though. Don't forget, she came from that life. Well, no, she's but that's already
1: what been there. But that—I think that's—I think for for me, what I got out of her character as a whole was she's kind of lived her life looking to fill that void, and she's done it many different ways, and because the devices she's using are hollow and they're they're not true. They're not really, there's almost a phoniness to like, it's hard to explain because she's over dedicated on the, on the surface level. I mean, that's what we're supposed to be seeing is, Oh, she's, she's dedicated and she's, you know, she's motivated. But I think at least my interpretation was like a lot of, a lot of it is, is hollow. And that's what makes the obsession, that much worse. And you can, you can, um, what I was going to say in my general thoughts, which I, I forgot to say was I compare it to, um, like you remember the movie Requiem for Darren Aronofsky's like second movie. I think it was. Yes, of course that movie, uh, that movie to me was similar in the fact that that movie was about addiction, not so much about drugs itself. Yes. Drugs were one of the devices to get across the theme of addiction but you remember the mom in that she was just as addicted to her tv and being like a star on tv as her son was to drugs so it was really about addiction where this one to me is about a a meek lonely girl live going through life constantly searching and searching and searching to where whatever she was going to latch onto and be dedicated to if it gave her that feeling of fulfillment that's all that really mattered to her. It it wasn't so much that she was genuine in anything she was going after. It was just that I'm lonely. I don't want to be lonely. It hurts to be lonely. This pain going through life like this. I need something that fulfills that void. And ultimately, it ended up being religion. So in a, in a fucked up way in her head, yes, I'm dedicated to this, but only because... It fulfills that emptiness inside of me. So that – I don't know if I'm explaining it well enough. but I, I understand that's, that's what you're saying. The interpretation I got out of this movie.
2: And that's fine. That's fine. I, like I said, I, I see it a little bit differently. I, I see it differently specifically because of the narration that she has right before she goes on the bender. Where she's talking about you haven't spoken to me. Why haven't you spoken to me? I, you know, what what path do you want me to go down? I don't know what you want me to do. That's why I feel like it was more of a frustration. It wasn't. I don't think she was looking for anything permanent that night. She was looking to just be as debaucherous as possible. Drinking, smoking, fucking, hand jobs, everything that well, she because, did. Well, to that, I,
1: I would argue that that's because the whatever she was feeling in the first place wasn't divine. It was her own, it was her own mind. It was her own mind convincing herself that there was like the divine feeling, you know? And I hate to get ahead of myself because this is really a discussion for the end where we're, okay, what was real, you know, what was going on in the scenes that...
2: We yeah, might... yeah, we'll get to that. But yeah.
1: but, but that, that's my response to that. Yes, she was lashing out. But I think what brought upon lashing out was because the whole... Divine feeling in her song stuff was kind of phony to begin with. Um, See, I
2: don't think it was phony to her though. I mean, it was if she hears the voice of God. Well, no, it was not phony to her. It's not. You're right.
1: It it wasn't phony to her, but it was. But that was more because her derangement in her head made her. It was like convincing her. It's real. It's just like you know. I don't want to bring aside issues like what's going on in the world now, but we can relate it. (laughs) <laughs> to people that are convinced of certain things that we know that we know it's not true but you can never talk them out of it despite you know evidence on us whatever 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 oh, but sure. i think in the in her case she's mentally she's she convinced herself of like this divinity and all this stuff going on but the minute um the minute she wasn't the minute it wasn't like filling that void in her life she turned on it just like that because it was it was really kind of phony to begin but with But why would
2: she why would she go back to her old ways to fill a void that it didn't fill the first time
1: because she's just someone constantly searching the lo- because w- once once the loneliness was brought on I think she just kind of t- t- I think it, partly it was lashing out at at what she what she thought in her mind was like I don't know god turning on her or abandoning her So, in her mind, she was like, well, if you're going to abandon me, I obviously need, you know, I'm going somewhere else. Like, I don't...
2: Well, no, that was her way of... I I feel like it was her middle finger to God. It was her saying, okay, you're not going to talk to me anymore, you're not going to tell me what you want to do, then fuck it. I'm going to do everything that the Bible tells me not to do. That's why it just feels like a fuck you to God. It doesn't feel... Because, like I said, if she wanted to fill the void, why would she go back to doing things that didn't fill the void the first time? Don't forget, she's already lived that life. She was already a little bit of a hoe, whatever, you know, because of the fat guy that she took home or that took her home saying that, oh, I remember you from back in the days. All the fellas used to really like you, blah, blah, blah. My question is, why go back to doing the same thing to fill a void that it didn't fill the first time? Why not try something new?
1: You know, go I mean, out. And, I, think, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I would, yeah, I mean, no, I understand that totally. I My response would just be, I just think she's a lost soul in general, that she doesn't really know. I think she's being, I think she's pulling her, she's almost pulling herself in multiple directions because she, because because of the emptiness and loneliness to where it's like, you know, as soon as one thing's not Filling the void, I'll just go right back to this other. Because she obviously wavers back and forth throughout the movie until she gets what she thinks are like signs for specific things. But
2: well, I wouldn't say waver, and she only has one moment of weakness in the film, well, which is this scene. It's a hell of
1: a moment of weakness.
2: Oh no, no! But, but that's the I mean. thing. It's not a moment of weakness. It's a moment of fuck you, in my opinion. Like I said, you know. Well, I think, opinion, yeah, I I think there there is same. that.
1: Ele- I think definitely think there is that element in there.
2: Right. Oh. And I agree with you that she is trying to fill a void, though. but I don't think the events of that evening are it. I think that she's going to try something later on. If she hadn't heard the voice again that evening, she might have gone on and tried something else to fill the void. That evening did not feel like her trying to fill the void. She wasn't trying to make friends. She was trying to be as debaucherous as possible. I mean, she gave a guy a handjob in, in a hallway. She drank copious amounts of alcohol she goes home with a fat disgusting slob i mean (laughs) she obviously you know the the more i say it out loud the more i believe that this is a frustrated fuck you to god you know because i it just she doesn't seem that that she would be so dumb as to just go back to that other life that didn't fulfill her years ago and now she's just going to go back to it again so you know, like I said, yeah, I, I mean, they're both I, valid. They're both valid yeah. arguments. Uh, yeah, it's I wouldn't really say of, that. Yeah, I really wouldn't classify
1: as being her dumb necessarily. More just that she's just lost and she
2: did not see. I don't. really not know what she wants. I find her actually fairly intelligent. I mean, yes, it's it's mostly in a theological way, but you know, she's very well spoken. You know, she's, uh, you know, at the very least, she's not a a, a drug addict. She's not stealing alcohol from Amanda. I mean, while she's working for Amanda, she's very pious. And like I said, I I think just the fact that she didn't hear the voice of God for so long, it just left her, you know, like you say, left her with a void. But like I said, I just I don't know. I, I just feel like that night was a frustrated uh, attack an affront to God, if you will, specifically an affront to God, not necessarily an attempt to fill a void. But again, opinions. So, listeners, let us know what you think if you've seen the film. This is definitely a movie that's going to, you know, uh, start a lot of conversations. So, and I'm ready for all of them. So bring them on. All right, where were we? Um, okay. I think it was right uh, after she was done house? hooking up. <laughs> Well, we're done with that. Uh, Maud is back at her house after her night of debauchery. She is once again praying, asking for a sign. Um, A couple of seconds go by and nothing happens. But then suddenly out of nowhere, um, uh, Maud vomits. And she basically vomits up all, I, I assume, all the alcohol that she had the night before. And at the exact same time, a fireworks display starts going off right outside her house. She looks out her window She's puking and there's fireworks playing. And I guess that's the sign that she was looking for. And then after that, she falls to the floor and seems to pass out. But then suddenly she starts levitating. And this is legitimate levitation. She starts levitating um, almost up to the ceiling in her apartment. And then at the very end, she actually opens her eyes to show that she is conscious there while she's floating. So again, could be unreliable narrator, could be actually something supernatural happened and maybe she misread it, whatever the case may be. There's Maud floating in her little tiny apartment, which is a great little image. I actually love that shot. Okay, so um, after the levitation, um, once again, or during the levitation, I should say, when she opens her eyes and looks up, once again, she sees that large insect walking along the ceiling that she saw at the hospital in the opening room, so I think once again that might be her representation of what's speaking to her i don't know because it seems like when she 's at her lowest, she sees this thing she sees the insect because she does see it multiple times throughout the movie, but i didn't actually pinpoint every single time, but I did want to point out the two major ones at the beginning and then right here during her little crisis of faith so um at this point it's the next morning, and Maud we see Maud putting tacks thumbtacks through a little piece of cardboard um not sure why and then suddenly she takes the cardboard with all the tacks sticking out of it and she places them inside her shoes yes um once again more penance on her part and uh you know when she stands up she lets out a yelp of you know pain obviously but then we see her walking around in the next scene, walking around town very gingerly. So you can tell she's definitely feeling, uh, the pain of those tacks in her, uh, in her shoes. So yeah, pretty, pretty heavy. Um, at this point, uh, Maud has, uh, because of the sign that she saw, and then one more sign that she's going to see, but uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, at this point, Maud has decided she is going to go back to try to save Amanda's soul. She's made the decision that Amanda needs me whether she knows it or not, and I'm going to help her. At this point, Maud decides to follow and actually talks to the nurse who replaced her after she was fired. They have a short conversation about... Um, just, you know, the medical field, Maud talks about the respect that she has for people in the medical field. And then what's funny is that the nurse, the replacement nurse makes a comment, um, to her, to Maud, that Maud made herself earlier in the film. She basically says something along the lines of my current patient isn't long for this world. And instantly you can kind of see Maud just change her demeanor. Like she was very friendly up to that point. And then out of nowhere, um, her, her expression changes. And then, we, and then the woman, uh, the nurse, asks Maud what her name is. And she just gets up and walks away. So that, that's kind of a funny thing how Maud gets upset hearing someone else say the exact same thing that she heard earlier. Almost like this nurse doesn't have the right to say that. Only I do because I have a connection with God, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, a weird little scene. Um, But after that, um, we as the viewing audience finally get to hear the voice that Maud has been hearing throughout the movie. And the voice is speaking in a very deep, almost evil tone. So at this point, I started to think um, that it was going to be like that Masters of Horror episode that Ron Perlman was in where he thought he was doing the acts of God because God was speaking to him, but then the reveal at the end was that it wasn't God, it was Satan, and he was actually doing the work of the devil. I actually thought that might be where this movie was going because every time she was in a time of crisis, she would see that insect. And why would God ever be represented as an insect? That seems like something more that uh, the other guy would be, you know, use as an image. And then we hear the voice, and it's like, whoa! How is that the voice of God? (laughs) You know what I mean? It it was was definitely kind of off-putting for me. Um, But uh, the the voice is speaking to her in a foreign language, and the language that it is speaking to her in is Welsh. Yes, for some reason, God is speaking to Maud in her native tongue. Uh, Because don't forget, earlier in the film, Maud mentions that she is Welsh. So, you know, you can interpret that as kind of proof that Maud is crazy, that, you know, she doesn't actually have a connection with God, not at, least, at least not the one that she thinks she has, and or potentially that this is all actually happening, but it's another entity giving her these instructions, not actually God. So, you know, interesting little scene. All right, so uh, after her conversation with quote-unquote God maud fashions a robe out of one of her bed sheets as she's dressing um as she's dressing herself with that sheet uh the camera uh pans over to her counter and it shows multiple bottles of chemicals acetone uh, a couple other things too um and while maud is um just kind of hanging around in her apartment her friend that she met on the street earlier the one that calls her katie shows up at her apartment and starts to ask her, you know, just how she's doing, you know, blah, blah, blah. Sorry, we couldn't hang out the other night. Maud is being very standoffish, not talking, just standing there, staring out into nothing. But then suddenly Maud looks out the window and she looks up to the sky. And guess what she sees in the clouds? She sees another spiral and instantly maud smiles almost as if she has been given her final task like she finally knows what she has to do and her demeanor with her friend even changes where you know she's kind of quiet and standoffish and then suddenly she's very friendly and you know uh, religious again she's like oh may god bless you and you know keep you from pain blah 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 the girl obviously the friend excuse me is you know kind of Weirded out by the blessing, but she has to go to work, so she ends up leaving, uh, leaving Maud alone in her apartment. At that point, she puts on her makeshift robe, and she leaves her apartment. At this point, we see Maud appro- approaching Amanda's house. Um, Maud enters Amanda's house, and she sees Amanda in bed. She walks over to Amanda with a bottle of holy water that she blessed herself, mind you. Um in that scene earlier, uh when the friend came to visit, what Maud was doing at the time of the visit is she was blessing a sink load of water. Now, Maud is not a nun or any kind of person of the cloth that that's been established in this film, but she seems to think that she can bless water and make it holy, so yeah again, more signs of the delusion uh of Maud's mind, okay, so as I said maud uh, is now at Amanda's house. Uh, uh, She wakes up Amanda as she's trying to put holy water on her forehead. Amanda wakes up instantly and starts to apologize to Maud saying, you know, I said cruel things to you. I'm very sorry. I said them all in anger. I didn't mean it. Maud instantly forgives her and says, Oh, don't worry about it. God forgives all things that are done in anger. And Amanda, you know, is basically just trying to apologize and Maud continues trying to put a holy water on her forehead and Amanda keeps pushing her back saying no stop it and this is where Amanda finally admits to Maud that she never believed in any of the stuff Maud was talking about including the little orgasmic episode that they had earlier in the film uh, Amanda admits, I'm sorry, honey. I was playing around for your benefit. That's all I was doing. I was just trying to make you feel better. I've never believed and I never will. One final time, Maud tries to put holy water on Amanda's forehead and Amanda just goes ballistic. Her face distorts, like her mouth opens really, really wide and she pushes Maud across the bedroom, slamming her into the back wall. And then suddenly we see Amanda in the bed acting like a possessed person, like there's a demon inside of her. So at this point, again, it's like, oh, shit, was Maud right the whole time or is this not happening? And this is just what Maud sees to justify her following actions. But basically, um, after Amanda pushes her off the bed and she's she's she never gets up out of the bed, she stays in the bed and she's just berating Maud, saying, take responsibility for your own mistakes, blah, blah, blah. And then, without hesitation, Maud leaps up and stabs Amanda about a dozen times in the neck and chest area, killing her instantly. Um, definitely something different, because usually when you see a religious person and then a person who potentially might be possessed, you don't generally see the religious person uh, just attack them physically. You know, there's exorcisms and shit involved, but yeah, um, uh, Maud just just acts doesn't even think and just stabs amanda to death as she's leaving amanda's house she appears to be floating away not walking and i i'm not saying that we get a full shot of her and she's floating what i'm saying is that we get a bust shot of her like the top half and it doesn't look like she's taking steps it looks like she's on a skateboard and she's floating away from amanda's house so you know once again you can interpret that as her feeling holy or just, you know, her imagining shit again. Um, in, the, in the next and final scene, uh, while still wearing her bloody robe, Maud proceeds to the beach. Um, she walks to the beach, and when she gets to the beach, she looks up in the sky and sees the biggest spiral she's seen yet. It's gigantic. It takes up a large part of the sky. She then, uh, what do you call it? She then pours a gallon of the acetone that we saw earlier on her counter. She pours the whole gallon of acetone on herself, and we start to see people on the beach start to react, and we hear, like, passers-by saying, somebody stop her, somebody stop her, because she's just pouring this acetone on herself, and she's got the lighter in her hand, and uh, basically, without really saying much of anything, she turns the lighter on, but Instead of her bursting into flames, which is what we would expect, instead what happens is we get this bright angelic light glowing from Maud. Suddenly she starts uh, Oh yeah.
1: Just real quick, though she does say one thing, she says glory to God.
2: Oh right, she, she does say a, glory to God. My bad. Yeah. Okay, so um, like I said, After she lights herself up, we see the angelic glow. Suddenly, wings and a halo appear on her body. Her robe starts flowing, almost like she's underwater. It's just a very angelic-looking scene. And then all the people that were on the beach are all facing her, and suddenly they all drop to their knees at once, almost like they're all witnessing a miracle of some kind. And then <laughs> we get the final second of the movie and basically what happens is as we see the people on the beach drop to their knees and we see Maud raising her arms to the sky with wings on her back and a halo over her head. We get a one second shot of Maud actually burning uh, where we see her flesh black and burning and she's screaming in pain and then movie ends credits. And that is Maud, or that is Saint Maud, 2019. And yeah, that that final scene is just so incredibly powerful. Um, you know, whether you believe the events of the movie occurred, whether you believe it's a, all hallucination on her part, um, whether you believe she just killed an innocent old woman just to satisfy her own, you know, crisis of faith, you know, take it as you will. But that ending to me is one of the most powerful endings I've seen in a while. Um, Hunter Hunter is probably the only one in recent memory that's really struck me the way this one did. But yeah, just like the final shot of The Witch that I absolutely loved. I, I have already said multiple times The Witch is my number one movie of the decade of the 2010s. And it's the same thing, slow burn throughout. The witch, you get a little bit more throughout, you get actual shots of the witch, and then you get an opening scene, too, where the witch is, (laughs) I can't believe I'm saying this, grinding the penis of a newborn baby so that she can consume it and make herself younger. Yeah, I said that. Um, So... Like I said, um, this movie is even slower than The Witch, I think most people would say, but I still feel like this payoff was so worth it. And I was like I said, I was still invested throughout. I will admit that an hour in I was kind of like Don where I was wondering what makes this movie horror. Um, But then after watching the end. And thinking about the events of the film as they progressed, it solidly feels like a horror film to me. It's just like I said, it's existential dread. It's more, you know, um, more of a religious type horror than anything visceral or visual, if you will. So, yeah, I can't say enough good things about this movie. I did forget to mention, too, that we did get an image of Maud with wings earlier in the film. I believe it was right after her bender, right after her night of debauchery, after she Mm -hmm. speaks to God and, you know, reclaims her faith. uh, There's a quick shot of her with angel wings on, not real ones, but like glowing yellow ones, like almost CG, um, very ethereal looking, you know, like not uh, of this world. Um, So once again, you know, uh, take that as you will you know uh, this movie is up to up for interpretation you know 10 people could watch this movie and 10 and they could have 10 different uh explanations of what actually happens and i love films like that this is a film that as i said earlier is going to garner a lot of conversation um a lot of it negative unfortunately but a lot of it is going to be positive too so you know if you haven't seen this film and you've you've stuck around and listened to the description, I would still recommend um, watching it because I definitely didn't give the movie the justice it deserves in my walkthrough. Um, like I said, there's some shots in this movie that are absolutely stellar. Um, some, some cool iconography um, and, you know, score, performances, editing. I mean, just about everything in this film is near flawless. So, yeah. I, I don't know what else I could say about this movie other than I've got some trivia. <laughs> Does anybody know who All provided right. the voice for God?
1: Um,
2: I was convinced that it was because so, I thought the voice sounded familiar. So I was convinced it was a name actor. Um, I, was but gonna there's say, no name gotta, I gotta get a hint. Cause I'm not going to, I mean, Oh, you're never going to get it. No, no. Okay. And that's part of my story. <laughs> um, Like I said, I thought it was a voice that I recognized, even though it's in a foreign language. So I actually looked it up. I went to IMDb, no credit for the voice of God. I went to Rotten Tomatoes, no credit for the voice of God. So I had to do some digging. I finally found this little blurb on a review from 2019 on the film. The voice of God is actually Maude. It's actually the actress, uh, Morford Clark. Um, obviously it's very distorted, uh, you know, uh, they add a lot of reverb to it, bass to make it sound demonic. That can't be on accident then, right? Um, I would almost say, I mean, granted, it's not a piece of trivia that you can find easily. Like I said, I had to do like an hour of digging on the internet to find out who that voice was, but yeah, it is the actress who played Maude, so, yeah, I mean, you have a point that it kind of says something, but... The question is: Did the filmmakers intend that to be what we thought? Because they didn't I mean, it. it's not
1: guaranteed that it sure. means anything more than hey, it'd be kind of cool if we distorted her own voice. But with the way the movie kind of feels like one big allegory, it's almost like, uh, like from from my perspective, that it couldn't have been an accident or coincidence that the entire movie you're like is this in her head or isn't and then it turns out they actually used the actress, the mod the actress that played mod mm-hmm. and destroyed it some, questioning but, why god you
2: know, was speaking to her in welsh yeah because um, because at first because i don't know welsh at all um i think gaelic is the the language um but um uh, I thought it was like Latin or Sumerian or something. You know what I mean? So that's why I had to look it up to find out. In in my process of trying to find out who played the voice of God, I also was trying to find out what language they were speaking. And yeah, it's Welsh. And that's why she replies to him in Welsh too. So yeah, uh, that definitely adds validity to the thought that it's all in her head, that she's creating this whole thing and that their God is not speaking to her. It's just her way of coping with her loneliness and just, you know, broken psyche yeah and i mean
1: like the the whole quote-unquote exorcism scene it's like yeah usually within five minutes of the exorcism the person trying to save the soul is not like all right yeah i'll just stab you to death because you yeah, said something nasty to me like yeah <laughs> but see but then it's like it doesn't matter because of her you could call it obsession or delusion i mean she walks out of the house with a grin on her well the grin develops as she's walking yeah mm-hmm. um so she still feels she probably did the right thing in her head like because ultimately oh she was possessed by a demon and but it's like uh i don't think murdering the possessed I mean I could see you know, I don't think that, that was like their the soul. last line of defense I mean, but yeah. you did it within 5 minutes and she barely <laughs> to you, like.
2: I mean literally like 5 seconds after Amanda exposed herself uh, yeah, as what you know Maud thought she was yeah she just leapt into action it was qu- quite jarring because, like I said, uh-huh. as soon as Amanda started speaking in the demonic voice, I'm like, okay, here it comes. We're going to get an exorcism scene. And, nope, they subverted that expectation right away. And I like that. I like that the movie, you know, had me guessing incorrectly. So, yeah, I like that a lot. Um, they outsmarted me, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, in the in the end, I mean with the whole scene on the beach and when she's burning herself, obviously I, I, the fact that they included like that last quick cut shot of just her burning to a crisp and writhing in pain. It's, it's almost like they're trying to show like the duopoly of like, yeah, she basically just committed suicide and none of what she thought was true is necessarily true. But in the end, it's almost like, well, if in her head she just did the right thing then to her that's all that matters now obviously there was real world consequences to other characters she interacted with obviously she murdered somebody so Mm -hmm. that murder happened whether there was divine purpose behind it or not but to her it's almost hard to make a statement like what for from mod's perspective it's like it doesn't like the pain that she's getting from this she thinks that she's now going to divine to, like to you know to experience divinity okay. into heaven and, mm-hmm.
2: but then uh, that last one second of the movie kind of shows nope
1: <laughs> exactly now yeah and that's like the real world perspective obviously probably from like all the onlookers yeah. what they're seeing, um, but for mod I mean as you know as the human condition or the mental illness or the delu you know whatever you would call going inside of her head it's like well. That was the, the conclusion she wanted, and she got it. So it's like okay, uh, it's a twisted, fucked up ending, but it's it was powerful, and yeah. you know, I mean, you almost
2: had to have something like you almost had to have an ending like that at the conclusion of the story. Oh, you know? oh yeah, something as slow paced as this, you got to give us some kind of payoff. I mean, that's part of the that's part of the reason why we didn't do uh, the night a couple of weeks ago because. That's a slow burn with not much of a payoff. Like the movie just kind of ends without answering any questions at all. And that's that's more of a frustration than anything else. A yeah. good movie, don't get me wrong. If anybody's interested, The Night Out of Iran, brand new supernatural film uh, that just dropped on VOD. So um, I watched it. It's incredibly slow. Once again, it's a very well-made movie. Um especially for a lower-budget film from Iran, but it's just so incredibly slow, and the payoff, like I said, there is no payoff, so the ending's very unsatisfying. It's just one of those ones that leaves you scratching your head, so uh, unfortunately, that's why we decided to make the executive decision to do Hunted uh, instead, so hopefully, I I think that made for a better show anyway. I, I I I shudder to think what Don would have thought of the night had we forced him to watch that one. <laughs> uh
3: yeah, I have I I didn't get to see. I mean, luckily the plug was pulled before I had a chance
2: to. So.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's it's a
2: slow one, man. It's incredibly yeah. slow. There's more supernatural elements in that one than this one. Like this one, it's very obvious. It's a horror movie throughout, but it's just it's so slow, and there's like. It, there's there's no jump scares and they try to they try to rely on tension but the tension's not always there it's just a weird little movie in fact i don't i don't 100% even really know what happened like i watched it i you know took notes cuz i thought we were going to do it for fresh cuts and yeah i'm still in the dark on what the actual movie was supposed to represent so eh, executive decision <laughs> Oh, St. Maude. Can we do St. Maude next week, too?
1: <laughs> I think the two of us might. I don't know. Yeah, wrong. Don might take the week off. <laughs> Don's like, you know about the whole official third co-host thing? Do they get weeks <laughs> off?
2: <laughs> but no, we got, we've got a couple of good things lined up for next week, potentially.
1: Oh, yeah. There's, like, I mean, we got turn. now.
2: we got Wrong Turn, Willy's Wonderland, um, something's dropping on Shudder this Thursday, I believe, too. Uh, I forget what it is. But shook. It's... Shook, thank you. Yes, Shook. Um, that one's getting some early praise as well. So, yeah, we've got options. Yeah, but that for-
3: one's also, I'm hearing just as much, that one's not even, that's even less of a horror film than St. Maud is.
2: You think? Well, I'll watch it and see. But, uh, yeah, I mean, at the very least, we got Wrong Turn. That should make most horror fans happy if we decide to do that one um obviously willie's wonderland is the nick cage movie with the animatronic um creatures basically banana splits part two but uh i haven't watched it yet so i have no idea what it's like i'm hearing very mixed reviews i'm seeing people that loved it and then other people that hated it so it's definitely one i'm gonna have to watch uh just to see but yeah you know whatever we decide um I'm sure we'll have a lively discussion. For sure.
1: All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Fresh Cuts, St. Maude. But before we get out, let's go around and figure out if we have anything new since our last recording. So Venom, what's on tap?
2: Not a whole lot new Um, in the Mike of Madness. Our latest episode is still the Stephen Kostansky uh, episode where we looked at the Void and Psycho Goreman. Next episode. Oh, actually, I'm not even sure what we're doing next episode. So look out for it. Um, Let's see in the it's it's not horror. okay? Uh, we did heavy metal uh, a couple of weeks ago that dropped today, I believe. I saw it out. So uh, check that out. At least that movie is going to be a lot easier to find. Sometimes the movies that we do on It's Not Horror Okay are very obscure, and it's like, who's going to find this movie to be able to listen to our commentary anyway? So it, it, at least we picked something a little bit more popular and readily available in heavy metal. So look out for that. That's on the Dark Discussions podcast network, same network that we are on currently. Um, let's see. Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, we're still trying to figure out a date. It doesn't look like we're going to be able to do anything in February. So hopefully sometime in March we'll get together to do our Gamera movie and continue our Ultraman retrospective. Look out for that on Legion Podcasts. And um, what else do I have? Oh, the main show. Yes, that's right. We just recorded an episode of the main show, No More Room in Hell where we looked at Finnish horror for this episode. We looked at a classic Finnish horror film and a more modern one. We discussed 1952's The White Reindeer, and we also looked at 2008's Sauna. And both of those are out of Finland, and we, uh, pretty much all three of us had a really good time with that episode. Uh, That dropped today on the Dark Discussions Podcast Network, so check that out. And uh, last but not least, Mike and I recently were on an episode of 22 shots of moods and horror Um, that also dropped today. I saw it on the website. So look out for that, that um, we looked at kind of uh, (laughs) it's hard to kind of describe because there are two horror movies based on televisions but not TV horror. So, for those who know the movies, we looked at Terror Vision and The Video Dead, which is actually a Scream Factory two-pack that is still available on Amazon for 19.99, so check it out. And then we did a bonus review of 1999's The Item, which was a very um interesting movie. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um and that like I said, that dropped today, so that's the current episode of 22 Shots of Moods and Horror. And I think that's about it for me, Mike.
1: All right, Don, you got anything?
3: Uh, yeah, the only thing for me is the uh, Attack of the Killer podcast uh, guest spot I did where I did a triple bill of World War II horror films. I looked at uh, Pan's Labyrinth, Overlord, and Ghosts of War, which were all first-time watches and a lot of fun. Um, there's also rumors of uh, me showing up on a, another guest spot, another show uh, just recently released. Um, if you figure that out, I was on Cut to the Chase and did uh, the new, Hitch did their latest episode on Hitchcock's The Birds. So that was, that was really fun. Uh, it was uh, originally supposed to be just like a two hour show. We ended up doing like a five hour recording. So, that was a rather fun time there, but uh, other than that, like Venom said, still trying to work out the underwater kaiju schedule, and uh, basically, yeah, showing up here for uh, Fresh cuts.
1: All right. Um, and then, what? everything I got has already been covered by Venom, so I don't need to add anything in. Um, but with that said, I think that's going to wrap it up. Venom Do you have any uh, leading contenders for next
2: week?
3: I think we already Mm -hmm. covered that earlier, didn't we?
2: Yeah, Wrong Turn, Willy's Wonderland, Shook. We've got some options. Um, Personally, I would lean towards Wrong Turn, though it is two hours long, so that could be a deterrent. I'll say one thing. The one movie we definitely won't be doing next week is Cowgirls vs. Pterodactyls, which I watched (laughs) last night. Yes, it's a real thing. And yes, it's as bad as it sounds.
1: <laughs> that's that's one of the movies it sounds. That, that, like, based on the title, it's like... I, I, I could,
3: I, sounds, I don't know where could the hell buy
1: from. into it being fun, but... Yeah, I could buy it's into fun, it being a fun movie I, yeah. if someone has I, I watched it told myself. me, but...
2: I should correct myself. It's, it's not a terrible movie. for For a low-budget movie using stop-motion animation for the pterodactyls, it actually has a lot of charm. Um, It's mildly funny. There's some funny lines in there. But just overall, you know, you're looking at bad acting, bad writing. Um, The effects are charming, but I can't call them good because it's stop-motion, and it's not even Harryhausen-quality stop-motion. It's obviously someone who admires Harryhausen. Um, I'm not going to... And it's only an hour and 12 minutes long. So, I mean, again it's a it's a short burst and if you're looking for something to shut your brain off and just have a good time that might be the movie for you but if you can't get past bad acting bad editing bad effects very little body count then you know might not be the movie for you but it it is fun i didn't mean to uh make it sound like it was terrible by any stretch
1: All right. Well, with that said, yeah, we got plenty to choose from. So, thank you everybody for listening. We will back in a week. Well, we'll be back in a week's time and say goodbye to listeners. Later. Hail Satan. Peace.